but it, it's not, it, it's not happening in third world countries. It's happening right here. I mean, on my podcast in a couple of weeks, I've got an interview coming out with a woman who up until the age of six was sexually abused within the foster care system mm-hmm. because like there, there aren't enough checks and balances there. And it does, it does make people uncomfortable. So if it, if it makes you uncomfortable to hear about it, then it's probably something that you should look into. Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. And we are back. What is happening, everybody? Welcome to University of Adversity. This is your first time here. Welcome to the family. All you regular listeners, welcome back. I love you guys. I appreciate you all so much. This is for the students of life, for where you want transformation to happen. We all know it happens here. So many incredible stories. I feel so blessed to be on this journey with you guys. Today's today's conversation was no different. It was absolute fire. Tiffany Toombs is joining us. We got into all things what's going on in the world right now. We talked about cancel culture. We talked about mindset. We talked about trauma. It really blew me away. And and the value that Tiffany brings, how she speaks, her conviction about everything, and her her perspective on, on having a well-rounded perspective because she's lived in Canada, she's lived in Australia, and she's lived in the United States. So she can speak on all three. For me, I don't like to get into topics about United States politics because I don't live there. I can't vote. Obviously, I have my opinions, but I prefer to have these conversations with people that are in the mix and I like to learn and I like to hear these different things. And I think we all need to really put our emotions aside and be students of life. Just learn from people, learn from others what they have to say. And we talked about canceling culture and how dangerous it is. And whether you agree with whatever political side or whatever a person says, just be open to listening. We're all allowed to have an opinion. We don't all have to love each other. We don't all have to agree, but it's really important to listen. And man, this conversation just nailed it. And I'm so certain that all you guys are going to love this. And I don't know, maybe it'll ruffle a few feathers, but you guys know where my heart is. I come from a place of love all the time. And I just really want us to all think and come together as human beings the best we can. So if you guys get value from this, please leave us a review on Apple, five stars, share it with a friend, whatever you can do, because it really helps and it helps know that we're delivering value to you. All right. So without further ado, let's get into it. Tiffany Toombs coming right up. And here we go. Tiffany Toombs. We're making it happen. How are you doing today? Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Me too. Me too. Um, yeah, so we just finished up our Canadian Thanksgiving here, mm-hmm. and um, obviously, it's always one of those uh, nice little get-togethers, and it's one of these things that I value because this time of year, or what's going on in the world, it's always nice when people can come together and kind of you know, put the shit aside and sort of like just have, have those get-togethers, have that sort of family-friend aspect. So um, yeah, I, and I really want to dive into kind of with you, you know, obviously the last seven months have not been the most ideal situation. Um, mm-hmm. I think we've we've lot we've learned a lot, and it's been um, it's been interesting. So, I would love to hear your perspective on where you're at with the whole thing. How has it been for you, and what has been your biggest takeaways since the start of all this chaos? Yeah, so it it definitely has been an interesting year for me, and when. I think it was like March 17th or 18th when everything kind of slowly started shutting down. The U.S. borders closed. The NBA announced they were pushing pause on the season. I started to see all of this talk about economies collapsing, and you know, the online marketers started changing their the the way that they were marketing the words that they were using to tough times and chaos and all of this other stuff. And I, I said to my husband we're going to be very intentional about our language and we're not going to talk about any of those things. We're going to talk about opportunity. We're going to talk about how regardless of what happens, there's even if the economy does collapse, even if this is worse than the 1930s great depression, there's always going to be opportunity and we have to be willing 
to look for it. And, you know, we're going to, we're going to learn lessons along the way. So whatever is going to happen is going to happen and getting ourselves more stressed out about it is never going to put us in a position to find that opportunity. So I had this exact same conversation with my highest level clients. I said, you know, whatever happens over the next, you know, at the, at the time we thought it was going to be four weeks and then seven months later, we're here still having the conversation. I said, we need to be the leaders right now. And we're going to see a lot of people who we thought were leaders over the last couple of years when the economy was great and everything was good. We're going to see them fall off their pedestals, so to speak, and we're going to see other leaders emerge. And so right now it's really our chance to decide which one of those spectrums we want to be on. Now, interestingly, to like back up a little bit, um, just before I left Australia a couple years ago, I, I was dealing with a really bad breakup and a friend was like, you should go and see this energy healer. And I was at the point where I was like, something has to give. So I will try anything at this point, like to get over this breakup. And I'm with this energy healer and she says to me, I have no idea why I need to tell you this, but it keeps popping into my head. So I'm going to tell you that like every 5,000 years, the energy of the universe shifts. And so for 5,000 years, we've been in a masculine energy, which is very much like the results oriented goals, hustle and grind, like that mentality that we've seen wearing stress and busyness as this badge of honor. And she said in 2012, the energy swung to feminine or it began the swing to feminine. And so people are going to be on this journey being pushed into the feminine, which is more about receiving and patience and gratitude and, and, you know, rest and getting in touch and healing and, and whatnot. And they're not going to know what to do because that world is so foreign to them. And I was like, this is the most random thing I've ever been told. I have zero, like I have a spiritual side, you know, I'm a yogi, but I was like, I like, what, what the hell? <laughs> Why are you telling me this? Yeah. And then shortly after that, the me too movement started right after she told me that. And I was like, interesting. So I firmly believe that like the me too movement wouldn't have really started had this shift in energy not have happened. And then Donald Trump got, uh, elected like him or not that's not the point it but we saw thousands millions of women all around the world not even just in the US but all around the world marching and saying you know what we have a voice and we want to be heard and you know we we want to speak out about this rape culture and we want to speak out against sexual abuse and sexual trauma and whatnot and women talking about it gave a lot of men who had sexual trauma the ability to step forward and talk about it as well I mean we saw um, James Vanderbeek from Dawson's Creek come forward and talk about the sexual abuse he had faced on the set of Dawson's Creek. Terry Crews, this like big ex NFL player who's yeah. on uh, Brooklyn nine, one, whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, 9-11. Um, he comes forward and talks about sexual abuse that he experienced in front of his wife by a Hollywood exec. And so a lot of times in history when women have, you know, most people don't know this, but before women got the right to vote, men who didn't own land also didn't have the right to vote. And so when women got the right to vote, then those non-land owning men got the right to vote as well. So it was, it's this really interesting journey. And when 2020 happened, being an NLP trainer and coach, it's really been like everything I teach in NLP playing out before my eyes in terms of all the NLP concepts that we talk about, seeing some people living by those concepts and flourishing during this time and then other people kind of sinking. And so I really believe that 2020 has been a gift that's part of this trans transition, right? We, so many people have so many vices or addictions, whether it's drugs, alcohol, uh, sex, smoking, going out, retail shopping, just this busyness, work, the gym, social media that stops them from truly actually digging in and looking at the wounds that they have. And I honestly believe that in order for anything to be rebuilt and to be made better, it has to come crumbling down. Like if we're going to build a brand new building that is, you know, green energy and whatever that's aligned with the future, we have to tear down the buildings that were there before. And I think 2020 has done this both on a personal level for so many people. It's brought up 
the emotional baggage, the wounds, the trauma, the neglect, whatever they've been holding on to that they haven't healed, this time in silence and solitude where they couldn't leave their house and, and they had to kind of sit with it and you can only watch so many so much Netflix and only be on TikTok for so long before you get bored, then it starts to come up. And then on a global scale, we've seen that the structures that we thought were there for us, big pharmaceutical, government, the school system, we're starting to see the cracks in that. And it's only once we start to see the cracks that we can rebuild something. So my, my biggest belief is that 2020 has been a gift for all of us and we might not see it. Hindsight's 2020. Steve Jobs said we can't connect the dots looking forward, but we can looking back. So I think in a couple years from now, when major change has taken place, we'll look back on this year and be so grateful for it happening. We just have to get through that and recognize that there is a lesson here for all of us. Yeah. Wow. That's very well put. And, um, it's crazy when, you know, telling that story about 2012, because when you first hear something like that, you think it's crazy, right? I mean, I know what you mean. When you, when you start to dive into this world and you hear things, you know, there's usually a lot of resistance. And then when things start to happen, it starts to make sense. And you're absolutely right. I feel like there's when this stuff all started, a lot of people, I just noticed a lot of people that I, that were kind of preaching a certain way. I just noticed them sort of crumbling and I, and I was like, wow, like this is really interesting because a lot of people, um, you know, talk a certain way or show up a certain way. And, and that wasn't happening in, in the pressure. And I just yeah. noticed that. And it's funny because, you know, people who have ever criticized, you know, personal development or personal growth or whatever, or the ones that were the ones really struggling, I found, even in my own network or community, like fear really took over people's lives. And when this stuff happened, I wasn't really, I didn't go through anything really. It was kind of like, well, I've been practicing for this. Like, I felt like mm. this is kind of the shit that we talk about. This is, this is, you know, and, and, and now is like, how do we show up for it? And all the tools, all the meditation, all the stuff that we do, this is what it's for, yeah. you know? And, mm -hmm. and it really, it was like, it was really interesting to watch and it still is, you know, just the wave of how things have gone. And I really think you're right. Like this is, this has been, we're going to look back and we're going to go, wow, this absolutely had to happen. It had to happen. Yeah. And I, like, I honestly believe, and I've been saying this for years, that there's one universal language and that language is love and people are either asking for it or they're giving it. And so what I think we're seeing in 2020 with all of, you know, the, the political arguments to the riots and the burning of things is that so many people right now are asking for love and everybody is afraid to give it because they have been fed this constant cycle of fear day after day. Like the 24-hour the news cycle has been nothing but fear-mongering and, you know, flipping from you're going to die to th now this is going to kill you to now this person's your enemy. And there, there's not really been even a moment for like, hey, you know, there's been some good in this world. Like, let, let's look at some of the good that's happened in the past seven months. It's just been constantly negative. And so, you know, and over the next couple of weeks into the U.S. election, I don't expect that to change. Maybe after, we'll see. I'm expecting it to last a little, you know, through to the end of the year, is that because we're fed this constant stream of fear is that so few people are willing to give love, knowing that if they can just give love, even if they're needing it in that moment, if they can just give it, then they're going to get it back. Yeah. But it's, it's like everybody, it's moved so many people who haven't dealt with their stuff into this place of scarcity. And it's like, well, I can't give love because I'm afraid that I'll never get it back. And so if I don't get it, then you don't get it. And nobody is ever going to heal so long as we're withholding from each other what we need and what other people need. Mm -hmm. And then on the topic of, of mentors and leaders, I mean, there's leader mentors that we've paid like close to six figures to who we've just watched absolutely crumble this year. And the, the lesson in that for me, I know a lot of other people who have paid some of these people money have been really disappointed or angry or upset. And the lesson for me is to that, you know, my place as a coach, as a mentor to other people is that I always have to keep working on my stuff that I can only lead them as far as I've gone. 
And so for me, it's really taught me personally a lot of lessons in who I don't want to be and what I don't want to end up like. I've seen a lot of mentors who became real focused on the money previous to this year when that was taken away from them for whatever reason, they crumbled, like you said. And so I think there's always a lesson in something and we just have to move outside of our emotion. Allow yourself to experience the emotion so that you can get to the point of like, okay, what was I meant to learn from this person, good or bad? Maybe you learned who you didn't want to be. Maybe you learned how not to run a business, but there's still a lesson there that's going to be valuable. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I I wanted to also talk about another point of this, that you had a really awesome uh, episode on your podcast about cancel culture. Now, this is this is something that is just out of control and people are afraid to speak up, like regardless of what side of the spectrum you're on of politics, you know, people should be able to have an opinion. And just because they have an opinion about one part of that thing, say they like something that Donald Trump does, doesn't make them a complete, you know, right wing or just because they like something about the left doesn't make them a complete far left. Like it's, it's crazy. And it's just, it's got to the point where people don't want to speak. People don't want to share anything. And, you know, it's just so dangerous. I would love if you could kind of give us perspective on your cancel culture because, you know, you're, especially from being a Canadian mm-hmm. and then moving to the States and having your perspective because it's a lot different than most because coming from Canada, you know, obviously it's, we're a little bit different. We're a little bit more, um, I don't even know what the word is, more laid back. And we, everything that we have is our politics kind of, everything that happens in the States happens in, in Canada eventually. Like, you yeah. know, as far as our, the media and everything. But what's that like for you now living there and actually seeing the difference, like actually being there? It's, uh, it's really interesting. And I'll, I'll be totally honest. I had a slight identity crisis this year moving through things. So mm-hmm. in 2016, I was actually living in Australia, then moved back to Canada. So I, I was getting fed this constant stream of of negativity about Donald Trump. And I'm not saying like he's my favorite human being because, you know, he's he's crass and he's rude and he says some things that sometimes I'm like, who 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 thinks that's okay? Yeah. Um, but my main source of information back in 2016, especially, was CNN and the New York Times. And I yeah. didn't realize how incredibly biased they were at that point. And I mean, I'm living in Texas, so I am living in a red state as well. So I have access to different information. And when the lockdowns happened and I had a little bit more time on my hands, I did start researching and I did just start asking questions. You know, one of the major questions that came up for me was prior to 2016 and Trump running for election, everybody loved him. I mean, everybody wanted to be him. So what was the point where things switched? And I decided to be open to all information, not just to look at one thing, but to look at an article from CNN and then look at the exact same article from Fox and figure out how both sides were looking at things. And then I discovered DuckDuckGo, um, which is less censored. And so I found other sources of information that we, t- we typically think aren't as credible because they don't have the big budget, so they don't have the beautiful websites, but they have very valid information there. And so I actually remember saying to my roommate in 2016, I don't know how anybody could ever vote Republican. Like, I don't know how you could ever not be a Democrat and be a, and like be a good human because I bought into this belief that if you like Trump, you're automatically racist. Or if you were Republican, you're a rich snobby person and you're a racist and you were sexist and you're this and that. I mean, I live in Texas, so I know a ton of Republicans now and I've seen that other side. And I think that's the power of, you know, you've traveled as well. And so you've seen this is that we don't understand other cultures really until we get immersed in them. And so what uh, what was interesting for me and, and where the identity crisis came was that one, the Democrats in my view, much like why I left the yoga community, was that they preach one thing, but there's a lot of hypocrisy around it. And so I would say now I'm moderate more than anything. I'm, I'm not on either camp 
you know, I, I want to look at the policies from both sides and not that I can vote in this election, but if, if I was able to vote, I would base it on the policies and the actions, right? And there is a lot of good that Donald Trump has done in terms of signing in protections for Native American women who go missing, um, land protection and conservation, uh, executive orders. He's done more for sex trafficking than mm -hmm. any other president in history, um, despite the facts that people call him racist. Even before he unveiled the $500 billion plan that he has, he, you know, he did a lot for the, the colored community. And so but none of this is ever talked about. And so I can see how people think that he's racist or whatever, because they're shown very edited clips around, you know, things that he says that are not politically correct without talking about the change that he has made. And so the reason I ultimately left the yoga community when I was in Australia was because they would talk one thing. So I don't know how much you know about yoga, but one of the limbs of yoga is ahimsa, which is do no harm. And so I found all these people would preach do no harm, do no harm, but they would be incredibly judgmental if you weren't vegan, or they would be incredibly judgmental if you didn't follow their exact belief systems. Like if you differed in your belief systems from them at all, they were highly critical, highly judgmental, and almost mentally abusive to a point. And that for me was really is what I've seen happening and not just from the left from the far right as well is if you don't agree with me then you're not included in this club right if you have a different viewpoint or you even ask a question that you know we're gonna kick you out of this club and I think the cancel culture is so toxic because a lot of people are just canceling other people without actually doing research right they're canceling other people without actually understanding because they just want to be included in this club. And so if you have one, I mean, it's, it's really like a cult, right? Like yeah. not saying that, that either side is a cult, but that's how cults act is you have one person who's highly influential, who's highly persuasive, and they can get a whole bunch of other people who want to be accepted to believe the same thing as them then nobody's going to research, nobody's going to be critically thinking, and everybody's going to be brainwashed. So when the whole cancel Netflix thing came out, I'd heard about cuties and I was like, okay, I mean, the poster is, you know, pretty crappy, you know, but yeah. it's nothing that we haven't seen before. So what is different about cuties as opposed to other things? And so I started researching it. I haven't watched the full thing, but there was a two minute clip that I couldn't make it past. And my husband was like, I can't even watch this. Like, yeah. like turned away, covered his eyes, was like, I can't even watch this. And from that point, I made the decision for me that I'm not going to give my money to Netflix. I posted about it, I shared my opinion, but I never said to anybody, if you don't cancel Netflix, I'm gonna stop being your friend. I welcomed the conversation and said, you know, let's, I'm, I'm open to hearing about your points of view. And the only time I've ever blocked somebody this year has been if they've come in with the personal insults and the personal attacks. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I, you know, I don't want my social media or my friendship group to become an echo chamber of what I already believe because there's no growth there. And so the, the biggest thing, I guess, for the cancel culture is when we start canceling things and people without doing our own research and asking ourselves, okay, well, how does this align with my own personal values? What has this person done? What haven't they done? Maybe I'm going to go search out the full clip of, of what people have said. Equally, there's been one of Joe Biden that came out um, saying how the reason that he got to stay home was because uh, a colored woman was stocking a shelf even that was selectively edited to make him look racist. When you go and watch the full clip, that, I mean, he probably shouldn't have brought race into it, but it, it wasn't the intention of that clip, right? And yeah. so the cancel culture is toxic because we don't open things up for conversation. We ask people to stop critical thinking and, and then we give them ultimatums. Like, you're, you're not going to be my friend if you don't cancel this. And that becomes a very slippery slope very quickly. Yeah. And anything that gets posted that may perhaps help this thing, like a doctor, you know, perhaps gets censored. Like, I mean, yeah. it's, it's just become, it's become crazy. Like I've gone down to conspiracy stuff. I've learned, I've done all the rabbit holes in the last seven months as, as much as the next guy. Right? Like I, I get it. I know what's, I seem like I know that there's 
and are they even conspiracies anymore? A lot of them, I don't even call them that anymore. Like what even is that? You know, like it's, you know, what's true and what's not. Sometimes I have to, I have to even ask myself, but like uh, at the end of the day, I believe that there should be, you should be able to look at all information. We're all adults. We all made it here. You know, we should be able to look at the information and go, huh? Okay. That's, that's great. That's great. And then decide which we decide is good for us. But if everything's canceled, that, that goes against the narrative. It really doesn't make any sense. And we're just, just, everybody's getting groomed into this one way. And it's, and it's the, it's the wrong way to be because you're, you're censoring out a lot of people who have a lot of knowledge who do this stuff for a living, you know, and it just hasn't made any sense to me, you know, and it's happening all over the place. People getting shut down on Instagram, like for, for speaking up. And now it just makes it so people don't want to say anything. People are like, oh fuck, I better just keep my mouth shut. Even, you know what? Even including myself, there's been times mm-hmm. where I haven't been, I haven't, been in my truth enough for what I want to say because I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, do I want to go there? Like, do I, you know what I mean? And it's like, mm. and, and I'm even working on that, you know, being a Canadian and being, you know how it is over here. It's, it's, it's like, and with the show, it's like, do I want to dance with that? Do I really want to play in there at that area? But at times I'm like, yeah, I need to more. Right. And, but it's that cancel culture that, that makes people afraid to do it. And, you know, it's, it's really, it's really been an interesting experiment to watch so far, you know? It, it really has been. I, I did a, a video series on my Facebook about how to be brainwashed. And it was like one of the most popular series that I've ever done. And people were like, wait, like, isn't this happening right now? And I, on, on everything, whether it's the Black Lives Matter movement, whether it's the coronavirus, whether it's the politics, like there's so much brainwashing going on and people just don't even realize it. And I think because so many people live in scarcity and live in this fear place, they're like, they are being driven by the survival mode part of their brain right now and not the critical thinking part of their brain. And so acceptance to a tribe for so many people is way more important now than it ever has been before because they, you know, there is so much canceling out of other people going on and they, you know, I mean, friends and relationships and families have been broken apart this year over differing opinions. It's happened in my own family. And Mm -hmm. so I've just been very clear, like I am going to share my opinions. And if, if you don't agree, that's okay. But if you publicly attack me or you even privately attack me, I'm not going to engage with it because just as you have a right to your opinion, I have a right to mine. And if you want to cancel me out of your life because of that, then you have some work to do and you're probably not somebody that I want in my life anyways. It's like the person who gets angry when you set a boundary is probably the person you needed to set a boundary with anyways. So it's, I think it's brought to light a lot of a lot of deeper things that we need to work on in terms of, and for me, it comes back to the school system. Like this, my husband and I were talking about this last night. The school system trains you to be a good servant. It doesn't train you. I saw a brilliant quote the other day that the school system trains you to get the exact same answer as everybody else, but it doesn't train you to ask questions or to think logically. And if we truly want to move society forward, if we truly want everybody to figure out what their true potential is, like if everybody stepped into their true potential, cancer would already be cured. Like world hunger would already be cured. All these problems, you know, climate change, all of those things would already be cured, but that doesn't, that doesn't benefit the the 1% that want to line their pockets. And so for me, the one message that I want to share with people this year is just start asking questions. Like just be brave enough to ask questions. And it's, it's weird that in 2020 that requires bravery, but just to say, you know, but what if I do watch, watch this documentary that's, you know, a conspiracy theory rabbit hole, you don't have to agree with it all. You don't have to agree with any of it, but just open your mind to that information and consider a different perspective. Yeah. Like I love hearing perspectives from people, even if it challenges mine and because it's interesting to me to to be like, wow, you actually think that. Why do you think that? Like there's there's a human being behind that. Like they have gone through life and a journey and they it brought them to where they are and they think that. It's really interesting because they're only looking at life through their lens. 
it's not, you know, and you can't say that what they're saying is wrong because how do we know? You know, and it's, it's like, that's the thing is like, we have to learn and we have to, it's such an interesting thing to be able to hear other perspectives. Right. And you so you brought something up that definitely, um, changed a lot for me during this whole thing was really learning about this human trafficking and the sex trafficking going on. I, you know, the first time I really heard it, I've, you know, obviously watched one of those like super out there, um, you know, rabbit hole documentaries. Uh, I, I think it was, what was it called? Uh, Cabal or something. Fall, that was the first Fall time. Of Cabal. Fall yeah. of Cabal. So as crazy as it out there as it is, I, that was the first time I was like, wow, what the fuck is going on? Is this, like, what is this? You know? And, and then I started to look and learn more about it. And then it's like, you started to hear certain people talking about it. And then certain people were not, you know, on the, on the side of like politics and, and I was like, wait a minute, why is this not being talked about much over here? Why is this being talked about? And that was where things started to get squirrely for me because then I got confused. Like, shouldn't this, this is the most important thing in the whole world right now. Nothing else matters. Like to me, fuck everything else. Like there's kids that are, that need help here. Like that is the most important thing. Not about my, making money, not about anything else. Racial issues are important, but not when it, not more than kids and, and, and kids being trafficked. Like it's, that's nothing more important. Mm-hmm. So why everybody's not talking about that all the time is, is, is why that's not on the front page of every news story. That really boggles my mind. It's, uh, when the whole Jeffrey Epstein thing happened, or really for me, it started with Harvey Weinstein. Um, mm-hmm. When I started researching different actors who knew, or you know, it kind of came out that Matt uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck would warn their female actress friends, like, "Don't go to this audition alone. Don't go to the hotel room," and all of that started coming out. I I really started to lose a lot of respect for people that I had you know, put on, put up on a pedestal. I, you know, there were certain people that I had on my vision board. I'm going to be on their show. They're going to interview me one day about what I'm doing. And I started taking these people down because they weren't the person that I thought they were. And I had somebody say to me through the journey, you know, but what if that person like isn't involved in the, the sex trafficking, like, you know, fall of cabal and whatnot says, what if that person isn't as actively involved? And my comment back was, if I knew somebody was a pedophile, if I knew somebody was doing this, if somebody had this reputation, and let's be honest, Jeffrey Epstein had that reputation. People knew what happened on the island. And even even if I wasn't involved in that, I still wouldn't go to their house for dinner. I still wouldn't hang out with them, right? I, I, I wouldn't go for coffee with them because I it, does, it doesn't align with my values. And And it really came back for me to this conversation of so many people talk about their values, but they don't actually connect to their values. They don't know what their values mean. I think we've become so used to putting words up on a wall. You know, I I worked with sports teams forever and you'd walk into the locker room and there'd be like work ethic and teamwork and there's no I in team and, you know, all these words up on, up on the wall. And then when I started working with corporates, they would have the same thing. Like these are our values, you know, we serve, but what does that mean? And if you don't define it ahead of time, what we know is that our conscious mind and our unconscious mind are so great at justifying things to keep us comfortable. So you could go steal something and, and we even saw this happening this year. Crime went up and there was politicians justifying why crime had increased to make it okay, right? Even though, you know, these people are stealing because they, they have no money, they've lost their jobs, coronavirus, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's not really why they're stealing. Like, you know, but we can justify anything. And so if you don't connect with your values on a daily basis, then it becomes really easy to keep doing things. I didn't want to delete Netflix. Trust me. I was like, this is a really hard decision for me to make. And my husband was like, well, you know, we could just log in on my parents' account. Like we don't have to pay them. And I was like, yeah, but like my highest intention is integrity. And so to say that I'm anti-sex trafficking and that I 
help these nonprofits. And I, you know, I've helped launch one recently and we give a certain percentage of our revenue away to these nonprofits to say that I support that. And then to still even be watching on a, you know, on a software or whatever that, that has exploited children for entertainment purposes and for money. It's that's still not an integrity, whether I'm paying for it or not. And so my, my challenge is, and trust me, it sucks to be like, not many Hollywood movies I can watch anymore because so many of these people are, you know, somehow entangled with Jeffrey Epstein or Harvey Weinstein or, or these other uh, people that are involved. It, It sucks to not be able to watch some of those movies anymore. And it's more important to me that we raise awareness for the children. And it's more important for me to stay in my integrity than to be entertained for that two hours by that person. Mm. And so, you know, it, it really frustrates me that nobody's having these conversations or that so very few people are. And I think this is part of that change that's coming where we have to stop idolizing people and we have to start asking these questions. How can you support a Black Lives Matter movement? How can you call for reparations for slavery that happened a couple hundred years ago when it's still happening today. I don't know if you've seen the documentary. It's on Amazon Prime called Operation Toussaint, and it's about oh, right. Operation Underground Railroad. Oh, I need to uh, watch it. It's, it's really good, and I, I'm pretty sure the stat on there is that every 30 seconds a child is sold into slavery, whether that's sex slavery or slavery for work. It's still happening. So mm-hmm. we can't really start talking about reparations for slavery that happened couple hundred years ago until modern day slavery stops. And it is a multi-billion dollar business. I think the stat that I saw the other day was it's $150 billion a year business, human trafficking and sex slavery. And so until that ends, there's no point in even having these other conversations. Do we need to talk about equality and Black Lives Matter and police reform? Absolutely. And it's still going on. So it's kind of like sweeping it under the rug. If we make what happened a couple hundred years ago, you know, if we start making up for that, but we don't deal with what's happening right now and it's happening to children. Like Mm. if we can't protect the children and the innocence of this world, then we truly have no future because what we know is that people who are in it are either going to become the predators in the future or they're going to stay in it. Yeah. Yeah, it's the most important thing. Like I don't think of I can't think of anything else more important. And you know, one of my mentors, Aubrey Marcus, he just had Tim Ballard on his show. And Tim Ballard is just such an awesome dude with, mm. you know, talking about Underground Railroad and and just like and just hearing some of the stories, like it's it's mind-boggling that we, I guess, what is it? Do people just not want to look at it? People just don't want to admit that that is happening in their in their nice little their nice little world. Honestly, I, I, I it makes people uncomfortable. I've had in in the few, couple posts that I've put out about it, I have had people reach out to me and say, "Look, I'd I'd really like if you stop talking about this. Like it it makes me uncomfortable. Wow. I go on social media." I want to be entertained. I, I don't want to see this sex trafficking stuff on my social media. And I said, then feel free to unfollow me because I'm not going to stop creating awareness about it. Because at the end of the day, like in the last seven months, the number of raids that have happened, the number of people who have been arrested, the number of kids who have been saved, and it's not made national or global news is mind boggling. Hmm. And, you know, the US is the number one consumer of child porn. It's yeah. not, you know, what I, when I first seen Taken, I was like, okay, well, I'm never going to a third world country, right? And we, and we think that it's like- Never traveling world. again after seeing yeah. that. <laughs> exactly. I'm never talking to a stranger at the French airport. Um, but it, it's, not, it, it's not happening in third world countries. It's happening right here. I mean, on my podcast in a couple of weeks, I've got an interview coming out with a woman who- up until the age of six was sexually abused within the foster care system mm-hmm. because like there, there aren't enough checks and balances there. And it does, it does make people uncomfortable. So if it, if it makes you uncomfortable to hear about it, then it's probably something that you should look into. Like if we keep turning a blind eye and people have told me, you know, if I want to read about it, I'll look into it. Well, the problem is, is that 
you haven't looked into it. And so I'm not going to keep waiting for you to decide that it's time to start looking into it. I'm going to start putting it in your face because that's how we make change. We don't make change by being swept under the rug. Same with, you know, the need for police reform. You know, it's been swept under the rug for so long. And after what's happened this year, we know that we need to make change. We know that police officers need more training. I don't personally believe in defunding them. I think they need more funding to get the proper training. They maybe need less military equipment, but they need more training, right? Yeah. And so as so long as we keep sweeping these things under the rug, it is never going to be addressed and these things are going to keep happening. I mean, there's like 800,000 kids in the US that go missing a year. Disneyland is one of the worst places for children to go missing because the chances of you ever finding them again is very slim. I mean, yeah. there's kids who don't even exist in this world. There's a man who, his name is John of God. He was arrested, I think, eight years ago. But he had bred, like, it's so disgusting to talk about it this way. He had bred over 2,000 women. He would keep them for 10 years at a time, and he would impregnate them, take their children and sell them, and then start the cycle again. And after he'd done that to them for 10 years, he would just kill them because they they were no use to him anymore. But this is what's happening. There's children being born into this system who don't even get a birth certificate. They don't exist anywhere because they're being born into the system. Oh man, it's so such an eye-opener. Like and and the thing is is like we should know this should be a conversation that is happening a lot. <laughs> like it makes me so uncomfortable, but that's the that's why that's because we're not, we haven't talked about it enough. Like it needs to be like, it needs to be everywhere. Everybody needs to get uncomfortable with this. Yeah. I mean, I trust, trust me. I do not want to think about these things. Sometimes I've seen some horrendous videos that gave me nightmares for weeks. And I also know that for my nieces and my nephews and my future kids, this is not the world that I want them living in. And so mm. I want to educate them and make sure that they have the tools that they need to fight back or, you know, to make sure that that never happens to them. And I want to make sure that we have people at all levels of, of government who anybody who has a platform needs to be sharing this message. And so for me, it's been really disappointing that Hollywood has not been sharing this message. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole other, rabbit hole with that i mean well, <laughs> we'll, we'll just let people yeah. go down that rabbit hole yeah. <laughs> obviously you've been doing the work for a while you know you get an nlp walk us through a little bit of that so you had mentioned before that a lot of the stuff that you had worked on had helped you for this like coming into this challenging situation what are some of the things that you have really worked on over the last few years that you've noticed or that you've applied like real life every day that maybe somebody out there who's like, man, I'm lost. Like, what do I do? Like, how did you get to this? Like, how did you become so confident in speaking like this? And because you clearly, you clearly have, you've, you've learned, you walk the walk, you're talking the talk. How does somebody start that if they're in the same position as maybe you were? Before? So I think it's important for people to know that, um, when we don't deal with things, and most of us learn to suppress it from a young age, like if you think about a two-year-old throwing a temper tantrum, what, are, what, are, what happens to them? They're usually shushed, right? Like if you're in a store, shh, like people are watching, this isn't appropriate. If you get up off the floor, I'll give you a cookie. Uh, you're in trouble when we get home. Like we're, we're taught from a very, very young age that crying is not okay. Even as a baby, you cry, your parents try and find a way to shush you. And so we learn to just start stuffing things down. And we only have so much capacity to stuff things down. I like to think of it like a bucket or like a bag, right? Throughout our life, every time we shove something down, and it doesn't matter how big or how small it is. I think a lot of people judge what happened to them. And I know I did this. I judged myself as, well, like I wasn't abused because I didn't have bruises or I didn't have this or I didn't have that. But the truth was I was abused, right? whatever's traumatic to the child's mind when they didn't get their needs met is going is something that they have to deal with. And every time we don't, it just gets added to this bag. And so for a long time, 
I was like this volcano waiting to erupt. So my mom left my biological dad when I was three months old. He was mentally abusive to her. I'm pretty sure there was some, probably some physical abuse. She hasn't admitted to it. He stalked her. He broke into her our apartment uh, three times in the middle of the night, held a knife to her throat and threatened if she didn't come back, he'd kill her. Uh, police did nothing at the time. And then um, when I was three years old, my, so my mom remarried about my about three years old, met my now dad when I was six months old. Um, when I was three, my biological dad gave me a picture of him and my mom's wedding, told me to go home and put it on the fridge. I'm three years old. I don't know any better. So I go and do it. And my mom tells me, she, she wasn't mad, but she just said, you know, this, this would really hurt your dad's feelings. And like me and my my stepdad, we are tight. Like if you didn't know that he had adopted me, you wouldn't like, we are so close. And so I would never want to hurt him. So I learned from the age of three that I was responsible for other people's emotions. And so Mm -hmm. this became like a pattern for me of if somebody asked me out and I wasn't, and I didn't want to go out with them, I had to twist how I felt to make them more comfortable. Or if I was in a relationship and it wasn't working with, for me, I had to twist how I felt so that I wouldn't break up with them. And so I stayed in a lot of toxic relationships for a long time, just waiting for it to get bad enough that that person would break up with me so that I wouldn't have to be the one who broke up with them. Um, I've only ever ended one, well, of serious relationships, I've only ever ended one, but that was the one that, that really needed to happen. Then my biological dad met my stepmom and she was a domestic violence survivor. So between the ages of three and seven, she, well, three and 10 really, she abused me. So I would be locked in closets, I'd be burned with curling irons, and it was whenever the attention fell on me and not on her that this would happen. When I was seven, she put me in the car, drove me out to the outskirts of town, threatened to leave me on the side of the road. She'd been telling me for years, she'd been grooming me that strangers hated blonde-haired, blue-eyed girls and would kill them if they saw them. So she drove me to the outskirts of the city, told me she was done with me, and she was leaving me for a stranger. So at seven, I begged for my life. And then at 10, her and my biological dad moved to the other side of the country. So even though I was being abused, I still felt, I still had this abandonment. Like my biological dad was never there to protect me. Didn't occur to me then that she just did it when he wasn't around. And then he chose her over me. So I had all of this, I'm not good enough, all of this resentment, all of this just stuff. And I carried it into every friendship, into every intimate relationship, into every business partnership. And what I want people to realize is between the ages of zero and seven, 95% of our belief systems are, are implanted in our mind and we spend the rest of our life watering those seeds. We look for validation that, that, that those beliefs are true. And so what happened for me was when I was 28, I got into this relationship with somebody who was a compulsive liar, but I had no idea. I mean, all the, all the signs were there, but I was just totally blind to them. I was living in Australia. He became my only family and I wanted it to work. And so I would justify, like I was talking about before, I would justify all these nuances that didn't really make sense. And then three years into our relationship, I found out I was pregnant. He was at a job interview or so he had told me. I found out within a couple hours he was actually with his other girlfriend in another state and my entire life started to crumble. As all of the uh, knowledge of all the lies that he had told started coming out, I then miscarried the baby and I hit this emotional rock bottom that I had no idea existed. And this was the time really between like 10 years old and this miscarriage happening and then me being suicidal after that. I was like this volcano that was ready to erupt. Like my basket of suppressed emotion was so full that if you said anything to me the wrong way, I would just explode. And so my family would get to the point where if they had to tell me something negative, they would like brace or, you know, if something negative happened, they would brace so that they wouldn't like catch the like Mount eruption that's happening for me. And so I'm so grateful that I found all these tools to unload all of this emotion because the only way we can let it go is to actually experience it. So that makes people feel like, well, I don't want to go through this because I don't want to relive it all. The good thing is, is like with NLP, we can 
can relive it in a very short controlled period of time. And we don't even have to relive it. We can just empty out the emotion, say what we needed to say, and that empties the bucket. So when years like 2020 hit, we have so much more emotional resilience where we can step back and say, okay, this person's arguing with me about politics or they're arguing with me about defunding the police or they're attacking me for making them feel uncomfortable about putting up this child sex trafficking post. Can I see what's happening for them, right? I can see that their basket is full. They have no emotional resilience. And I was like the drop in the bucket that caused everything to overflow by making them uncomfortable. And so it becomes a lot easier to grow, to step outside of your comfort zone, to face those fears and, you know, whatever limiting beliefs it is that you have that have held you back because you learn how to let go. And for a lot of people, those emotional traumas, again, however big or small it was. And a lot of people, I don't even like using the word trauma a lot of times because people are like, I don't have trauma. And then we start talking about it and it's like, oh no, I I did have trauma. (laughs) By those terms, I did have trauma. Right. And I, I didn't know until I started actually healing that I had been abused. I had made excuses for it for so long. Well, my dad never laid a hand on me or I wasn't sexually abused that I remembered or, you know, any of these things that had come up. I didn't, I could justify it because somebody else had it worse. It was only every second weekend. I didn't live with it full time. So it wasn't that bad. And so it doesn't matter how bad or not bad what happened to you was. The fact of the matter is until you deal with it, you won't realize the impact that it had on you until you let it go. Again, it's that we can connect the dots looking backwards. So it's trauma, would you say, is an emotional attachment to an event that we've kind of, it's been printed into our subconscious, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, I I was just going to say, it's really any time that we didn't get what we needed in that Mm. moment. And so, I mean, I've worked with, when I was in Alberta, you know that it's a big oil and gas province. And Mm. I would have parents bring me in to work with their kids that had low self-confidence who were 10 and 11 and 12. And they always had one parent working away on the oil rigs for three or four weeks at a time. And so from a logical level, these kids would understand like, oh, this big house that I live in, or, you know, these Air Jordans that I'm wearing, that happens because my parent goes away and works and makes all of this money. And I wouldn't be able to have those things. But it's not the conscious mind that's in the driver's seat of our life. It's the unconscious mind, the emotional part. And so when we really dug in, what ultimately came out with all of these kids was, well, if my parents really loved me, they would choose work closer. They would be here more. So trauma can be a parent who works too much, a parent who's emotionally unavailable. There's so many studies around attachment theory in kids where if you don't have a mo- specifically a mother figure, but a father figure as well, who is loving and nurturing and supportive and like warm and cuddly for you, right? Say you have a parent who is just distant or they're going through postpartum depression and not to say that it's, you know, the parent's fault. We're all on our own journey. I I think my personal belief is like our soul chooses these mountains for us to show other people how to climb is that when, when the child doesn't get what they need, that becomes traumatic. And it doesn't matter if it's, you know, if it's a parent joking around too much, I had so much anger growing up that I was trying to prove that I was good enough to be my stepdad's daughter, right? Especially after my brothers came along, which were his full blood kids, trying to prove that I'm good enough. And I'd get like 98% on a test and he'd be like, where's the other 2%? And that was, he was joking, but that's not the way I took it because it didn't align with the belief systems that I had where my brothers would, you know, get C's and they would get taken out and celebrated. And so even those things can be traumatic to the mind because it causes us to think that we're not accepted or that we're not good enough. Yeah. It's so interesting because looking back in in my own life as well, there are so many moments and a lot of the, a lot of, for me though, I feel that trauma happened even after that, like around 11 to when I was a teenager, I know that we probably absorb it differently but like that is also interesting as well, you know, because we say zero to seven, but then what about after? Like how, 
how much can trauma happen after that? Oh, right? it, I mean, it absolutely can happen. If you have somebody who gets in a car accident or they lose a parent or they get bullied after that age, like the zero to seven is the main imprinting phase, but that doesn't mean that we can't get trauma after that happening in our yeah. life that totally alters our direction, right? I know yeah. women, um, I've had a number of clients who were raped or sexually assaulted in their teen years and that still caused things like obesity or panic attacks or overly sexual behavior or not wanting to be sexual at all, like almost asexual type behavior. Mm -hmm. And so just because it's not during zero and seven doesn't mean it doesn't still have an impact. We're just more susceptible yeah. to it between those ages. Have you ever done any plant medicine therapy, stuff like that to get into the roots of anything? Have you explored that at all? Um, I personally haven't more so because I'm a control freak. And yeah. so I, I, for me, um, the, the, the not safe belief has been one of the overarching ones in my life. Mm -hmm. And so, um, the people pre, I mean, I'd feel comfortable doing it now with the people I had in my life. Uh, the people I had in my life previously, I would have not felt safe enough to do it with them in just in case it came back to haunt me or was used against me. Um, so my, what I used personally and what I use with my clients predominantly has been hypnosis. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's not everybody's called to do, not everybody has to do plant medicine or anything. And that's the beautiful thing. You can get to a lot of the places through breath, you breath work and mm. Kundalini yoga. I mean, there's lots of ways that you can get to those places. Um, but yeah, they're, they're valuable tools. And I think, I think they're a good way at sort of being able to uncover things you may not even know, you know, like I know that I've done with some of the stuff I've seen things and I'm, I, I look at it. And I'm, I'm like, wow, I didn't realize I had to look at that, you know, and there's certain things like, especially when you lose, uh, you know, when I lost my dad, it was such a sudden thing that every time I do breath work or any sort of like plant medicine, he pops up and then I get this like deep cry and it's like really, really powerful. And, and I feel normal day to day to day, but it's like, there's, it's so fascinating how we can just stuff that stuff. Like mm. there's been so much trauma in my life, like saying bye to people and like leaving my mom and like, just like so much stuff that I've gotten used to just being able to close it off. And then when you, you know, when I've surrendered a few times, to, you know, breath or plant medicine, it's like, wow, okay, I got to look at this and I haven't healed this fully, mm. you know? And, and, and it's really interesting because we get so good at putting these walls up and not looking at this stuff. Yeah. I had a client, um, a couple years ago when I first moved back to Canada and she came to see me because she was feeling stuck in her business and she was working out like six days a week, totally clean diet, doing everything right. But the weight wasn't shifting. And so I went through her history like I normally do on the intake session and I was packing up my books to put them away. And she said, you know what? I should probably mention it's not a big deal because I've dealt with it. But between the ages of four and 12, I was sexually abused by both my uncle and my grandpa. And I was like, bring the books oh back out. Let's, let's talk about it. And so we, as we went through the next seven sessions, her husband kept telling her like, you're paying too much for this. This is BS. Like, you know, this is woo woo crap. It's not going to work. And in between our second last session and our last session, her and her husband were going away to Mexico for a week. And she was like, I hate this week. Like it's, I never look forward to it. We just sit and fight the whole time. It's going to be the worst. And I was like, Oh, like I'm excited for you, but okay. Uh, you're not looking forward to it. So she came back and she was like, that was the best trip of our life. Like we connected fully and she had never told me, but she had never had an orgasm because she always had a panic attack. And so here she had thought she had dealt with the sexual trauma, thought she had healed it, and she, she hadn't because every time her and her husband were having sex, she would have a panic attack and so she wouldn't be able to have an orgasm. She was like, I had multiples. Like this woman is in her 60s. She's like, you know, now I know what everyone's talking about. I know why this is such a big deal. Like, you know, my husband told me I haven't paid you enough money now. And so, you know, sometimes people think that they've dealt with things. I had another woman... Uh, at the same time who came to see me, she'd actually been gang raped and left for dead by like six, six boys when she was a teenager Jesus. and she blamed her mom. And so she had done a lot of therapy on the mom side of things because she told her mom and her mom was like, just don't make a big deal out of it. Right. And her mom kind of like swept it under the rug. 
but she never actually dealt with the emotions with the boys. And when we did, you know, the, the clearing session there, she had, she was obese at the time. And she said, I, every session after every session we have, I go to the candy store, like the bulk candy store, buy like $20 of bulk candy. And I go home and I stuff my face. And as soon as we did that session, she did the same thing, but then she just vomited it all back up. She's like, my body just won't accept it. I don't even want it anymore. I don't want the junk food. And the weight started to fall off. And a lot of times people don't realize like it's all so interconnected. So many women who've had some sort of sexual abuse end up putting on weight because it, at an unconscious level, they think it makes them less attractive to a predator. And so they're less likely to be attacked again. And so it's at this unconscious level that it's happening or the, the other way that women can swing when they've been sexually abused is they become overly sexual where, you know, they're, you know, showing off everything in their clothes, which if that's what they want to do, that's cool. I have zero judgment and they're sleeping around because then they perceive that, oh, well, if I'm just sleeping around, I can never be abused anymore. It's, you know, I, I'm just an empowered female in my body. And if you, I mean, I have zero judgment if you want to do that. Just understand like energetically what's happening there. Um, and so, yeah, so it's, it's really interesting to see how day-to-day behaviors come from or health issues or, or whatever come from traumas that we've had in the past that we maybe we thought we've dealt with, but we haven't really. Wow. Fascinating. Yeah. That is it, so it, fascinating. It never ceases to amaze me like, what happens with clients. Like that is, um, that's amazing work. Like that's the most important work that, that can be done in my opinion. It, it like it, it, I'm honestly so grateful every day. I, I had a woman, I've had two women actually. One had a lot of like Catholic guilt and like religious trauma. And as soon as we, we actually cleared religion as if it was a person and her and her husband had been trying for five years, IVF and like, that's not cheap and had failed every time they weren't even trying and she messaged me and she's like so like we naturally conceived i've had another woman do the same thing like conceived after failed ivf for so long uh, after that session with you and i'm like well i'm not taking credit for it and they're like i'm giving it and i'm like that's cool but when we put our body back in like the most natural state then it knows what to do it knows how to heal itself it knows how to lose weight it knows how to be happy our body inherently knows all these things, but we have to let go of all of the stuff that we've held on to that we don't even realize maybe that we're still holding on to. Wow. If we if people want to work with you, where can we check you out? Where is the best place? I know you got Take the Leap podcast, which is awesome. You guys, I highly recommend checking this out. I really enjoyed it. You're 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 such a good speaker. I listened to three episodes that we talked about. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. I'm not just saying that. You have a great presence. And like your podcast kicks ass. So I highly recommend everybody check that out. And you have a book as well, right? Yeah. My book is called Stop Being a Selfish Bitch. Yeah. Uh, and it's about when you hold on to all this stuff that we've been talking about and you give in to the fear and, and the anxiety and, and all of that stuff, you're not sharing your message with the world. And that's really what being selfish is about because there's somebody out there who's going to be changed by your example. And so... I just want to help you take off the chains and help you get there. Perfect. And where can we, where's the best place to check you out to work with you? Cause I'm, I'm sure a lot of people could get value from what you're doing. Like it's amazing. Thank you. Um, so I do have a free Facebook group where I do daily live trainings. So if you, and they're totally free, just tell me what kind of topics you want to hear about and I'll put together a training on it. You can join the group at, if you go to www.successsecretsgroup.com. Otherwise, if you just go to my website, bluelotusmind.com, that'll link me to, to everywhere. Awesome. This NLP stuff has is, is really been on my mind, something that I'm, I want to look into doing as well because I've, I've heard it over and over again. And, and just hearing some of the work that you've done, I mean, what a rewarding experience being able to see that shift in people. Like it's... Yeah. And you can never... I think that my favorite part of it is that people will come to see me for X and they'll get Y. Like we we can never accurately predict like all the outcomes that are going to happen. Um, This Thursday I'm having an NLP party. I'm going to start running them once a month where I actually just train you like 
teach mm. you a tool of NLP absolutely free um, so that you can start unlocking your unconscious mind. So I'll send you that info. And as soon as you get that stuff done, then you become better at business. Then you become better at all the other stuff. It's funny how that happens, right? <laughs> yeah, it all, it all just flows. Like it just unlocks every part of like you become better in health, yeah. in relationships, in communicating, in just even understanding yourself, like your self-care and self-love, like yeah. being able to set those boundaries. It's just a no-brainer. It, you know, everything becomes so much easier when you know how to let go of this stuff. Amazing. Let's end it with the last question I always ask for every show. And I know we touched on it, but first thing that comes to your mind, what is one lesson that adversity has taught you? Um, that there is nothing that we can't overcome. Like what, whatever mountain it is that you have in your life, whether you believe your soul chose it, whether you don't even know why you have it, whatever it is, you can overcome it. You just have to be around the right people. You just have to find the right resources and just keep going. Like the, the moment that you think that you can't go anymore, keep going. You know, you mentioned the hero's journey to me before we started. It's something I talk about a lot. There's going to be a point of temptation to go back to who you were before. And the reason that that's so tempting is because we have to walk through the fire. Who we were has to die so that we can become who we were meant to be. So whatever journey it is that you're on, whatever adversity has come up for you, you have the tools inside of you to overcome it. You just have to figure out how to unlock them. Boom. Thank you so much, Tiff. This was, this was awesome. Such a great conversation. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, everybody. All the information to check out Tiffany's in the show notes. I highly recommend checking out her podcast, Take the Leap. Three episodes that I picked that I liked a lot that we talked about. Um, a little bit, I didn't talk about this one, but I really enjoyed it. This is her episode with Billy Jean, number 71, Cancel Culture, number 92, and How to Shake Off Chaos and Finish Strong, number 102. Those are the three that I listened to and I thought they were great. Take the Leak podcast. She's also got a book, Stop Being a Selfish Bitch. And if you want to check out and, and work with her, her website, Blue Lotus Mind, and it's all in the show notes. And uh, yeah, what else we got? Yeah, check her out on social media. Her Facebook, she posts such great stuff. Um, I, I really enjoy her content and that's what really made me learn about her and I wanted to bring her on the show. So we did an interview swap. I was also on her show that's coming out soon. So lots of exciting stuff. Also, guys, remember, this is available on YouTube. Check it on YouTube. Subscribe to YouTube. Subscribe to all the podcast platforms you listen to. It's much appreciated. And we always love reviews. Share it with a friend if you can. And uh, it's, it's greatly, greatly appreciated. I love you guys. We'll catch you next time.